Hello, listeners. Welcome to our latest installment of the FinTech Investor Podcast Series. My name is Simon Yu. I'm your host. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Green Visor Capital. And today I'm delighted to actually welcome the founding team of Shift Payments. Today we have with us Meg Nakamura, Greg Kidd, and Adam Neff. Meg and her colleagues are building the next generation card issuance platform targeting not just traditional financial institutions, but also fintech startups. Their technology enables the ability to tie different stores of value to the card itself and is also part of the card networks as well. So with that, let me turn it over to Meg to introduce herself and the others can introduce themselves as well. My name's Meg. When we started the company, it was myself, Greg, and our technical lead, Eugene Otto. I wore the hat of business stuff, and Eugene really on the technical side. We're four years in, and we are building an API platform for card issuance. By way of background, I worked at Promontory, which is a regulatory consulting firm. Worked on a number of other tech startups in the past, and have been working with Greg for about 12 years now. Greg, how about yourself? I did meet Meg uh, Nakamura at Promontory. I had prior consulting experience with Booz Allen and some time at the Federal Reserve, at the Board of Governors and the Payments Group. Since that time, I have also been involved in the startup community, had overlaps with uh, Jack Dorsey, who hacked into my original company that I took public years ago in the courier business. We learned a lot about text messaging and a lot about payments that led to Twitter and Square. So I was around at the start of those and then was fascinated with the cryptocurrency market and was first money in at Coinbase and then took the chief risk officer position at Ripple. Have always been interested in cards because while there's all this new tech stuff out there, cards have been a way to basically pay any and everywhere that Visa, MasterCard is accepted. And so have been excited to work with Meg and Adam to bring some of these new innovations in digital cryptocurrency to the mainstream. And Shift seems a bridging technology for doing that. I'm Adam Neff, the Chief Strategy Officer at Shift. I joined the company recently, have been involved in tech, primarily in startups in the social and mobility space for about 12 years now. I grew up in Los Angeles, but worked overseas for four years and was on the executive team of Spain's largest social network, which was acquired by Telefonica and subsequently built out uh, MVNO and MVNE platform that now is white labeled and being used by a bunch of operators within Telefonica Group. Got interested in FinTech while I was over there and am very focused in on providing modern omni-channel user experiences. And so I'm working with Shift on leveraging our card platform and infrastructure and making it really easy and simple uh, for partners to deploy. Thanks very much for the intro. Let's start with an overview of Shift Payments and the vision for the company. And, and Meg, it's evolved a little bit since we've gotten to know each other over the last few years. But for those who are not familiar with Shift Payments, talk about the opportunity as you see it. Yeah, I think Greg pointed out that despite all the technical advancements over the last few decades, we still pull out our piece of plastic to make most of our purchases. And the merchant network of Visa and MasterCard is is just so much better than anything else out there that when we were coming to market and wanting to enable users to spend whatever money they have access to, 
it was a no-brainer for us to make this a card product. That's where payments were going to be accepted. So just to tease that out a little further, your view is that in today's world, there's so many different places in which you could hold value or money, but there are limited ways in which you could actually utilize it in-store or online to make purchases. Is that correct? That's correct. It's why we came to market with the first U.S. Bitcoin debit card where users could spend Bitcoin at any Visa merchant. And that was transformative because we could help Coinbase add utility to their platform and provide a whole network of acceptance. So what did you take away from that experience? And of course, the business has evolved a little bit since then. What led you to the path that you're on now? And if you could, describe the strategy going forward. I think early on, Greg and I, we always talked about building a consumer brand is really hard. We found ourselves in a great position to power other experiences and white label other card programs. And I think part of it's maybe our personality, but we want to enable all these things in a very leveraged way as opposed to necessarily have to own that consumer consumer brand. We took the experience of launching the shift card and we've been able to productize that entire stack to other businesses who want to launch branded card programs. So Meg and Greg, could you talk a little bit about um, the early days of the shift card and your relationship with Coinbase and what you learned from the launch of that product? When we started Square, uh, we didn't actually ask for permission. I think we ran the early Square transaction through Jim's glassblowing account <laughs> because we were not allowed to aggregate transactions on behalf of mini merchants. That was uh, something PayPal had done for the online business, but nobody had done it for bricks and mortar. That is how we got the business going. I think that Coinbase has APIs, and so on Coinbase's side, it's simply a move transaction on their network, moving from that end user to a, a shift-controlled account, and then independently of that, Shift has set up a relationship with a commercial bank that's a visa issuer. And and really, it wouldn't matter what you were spending, whether it was coconuts or chickens or Bitcoin, as long as you had money, good U.S. dollars in that account that Visa sweeps by the end of the day, it's going to work. So as long as Shift could sell the Bitcoin that it's receiving at a market price sufficient to cover the cost of having the dollars at Metropolitan Bank, it feels to the user like an integrated real-time experience into the merchant, it's the same as if somebody came in and paid with a traditional debit or credit card in, in local currency. Understood. Who was the card issuing bank that allowed you to ride the uh, the regular interchange rails? Metropolitan Commercial Bank. I see. So you went to them first and you said, hey, we have an idea for you about the way to get new customers. We needed to convince somebody that our user base wasn't going to be full of Criminals. bad actors given the population that we wanted to serve. And how long did that process take to get them on side? We first met them in the summer during Y Combinator. Right. But we didn't sign a contract until December. So six months, but during the the course of six months, you gain confidence that the contract is happening and you might sign a term sheet beforehand. But But all the while, you're schooling up the business, right? You have to figure out a way to get these cards in production and then get the cards out in the hands of the public. Right. How did you manage all that? So we had done, before Coinbase, a small, not a pilot, but a, an actual production execution with Dwala. And Dwala was simpler because they had a stored value offering at the time, which was a retail offering in the marketplace. So in a way, starting with them was no different than PayPal issuing a card on its balances. And so Metropolitan Bank gained experience with us. 
And Metropolitan Bank had already issued many stored value cards for other folks. So it wasn't that big of a leap to go from issuing a traditional stored value card, sort of the equivalent of a, a prepaid general purpose reloadable card, like a Green Dot card, to doing it for Dwala because PayPal had already broken new ground. And then Coinbase came along and because Coinbase, Coinbase had actually raised enough money and had a mentality to do compliance, so it was really just like, if you will, PayPal for Bitcoin. It was like a digital currency. By the time it got to us, it was already converted from Bitcoin into dollars. So in each case, it was just a little bit of an incremental leap for Metropolitan Bank, and we just walked them through that. Coming out of Y Combinator helped because it was kind of the patina of like a, a together Silicon Valley yeah. startup. After your first run with uh, with Coinbase, how many cards did you have outstanding at that time? Rolling out with Coinbase was really fun. We coordinated with their teams, so they emailed their entire user base to notify folks that they could come to shift doc, shiftpayments.com and register for a card, and we didn't have to do any marketing around it. So mm, Very clever. And what was the reaction from the card networks to all this? Because obviously their heads are spinning four years ago around the, the emergence of cryptocurrencies and the like and all these different innovations happening in the payment space. Uh, how did you get them comfortable with what you were doing? Since we started with Coinbase, and Coinbase also came out of Y Combinator, Coinbase did the same approach as PayPal of getting everyone KYC'd up front. So it was very different from some of the other folks who had essentially a card which would be filled from people selling Bitcoin potentially without the types of controls that Coinbase had in place. So the argument, if anything, for the for a company like Coinbase was it was just PayPal with a different custodial source. And so that wasn't a very big stretch for a bank, just given that Coinbase was fully KYC'd. It had come originally and been banked by Silicon Valley Bank, and it had very strong KYC, and it was just for the United States. And then they just launched the card in a few markets where they had money transmitter licenses as opposed to the whole United States. So it was a very cautious rollout by Coinbase and a very cautious rollout by Shift. It took more time that way, but it, it's proved dividends for having taken that taken that approach. And, and Visa's been very solid supportive all through. And, and to that point on the Visa front, I think we were very strategic in talking with them about adding new volume to their rails. And it was a, a new opportunity for them where we were going to be putting new new money through. Everybody knows that the Visa Rails don't handle Bitcoin or anything like that. So it's all fiat that they see, and it's new fiat that they see. Understood. So let's talk a little bit about the business model today. It's obviously evolved since then, and the successful launch of your card. Others have taken notice, right? So not least of which is PayPal and Venmo. And it's become, the business has become so much more broader than you originally envisioned. Can you talk a little bit about that? Empowering the shift card for so long, we really... We learned everything from onboarding a customer to the transaction processing to the reconciliation settlement and then also the customer service and compliance obligations with standing up and maintaining an entire card program. We saw many market opportunities to power those experiences for other people with big user bases. I think in terms of timing, we were seeing a number of fintech companies getting over the hump and looking for card solutions, there aren't many folks in this space for them to turn to. The traditional infrastructure providers to enable card issuance 
do not necessarily care about or service up-and-coming fintech companies. And that's the opportunity that you're trying to fill. Our pitch is always speed to market. I got a friend to introduce me to a friend at Venmo, and we got on a quick call. I finagled her to give us API keys. We built the working demo over the weekend, and they had a, a shift card that could swipe against Venmo balances on Monday. So the fact that we could build something and pitch them over a weekend is very different from you get on a call, you might get, you might talk to a BD person at TSIS, what are the next steps? It's certainly not a working proof of concept. Given all the innovation that's taking place with regards to digital wallets and the online shopping experience, here in the United States at least, that point of sale in-store experience largely hasn't changed much other than with the introduction of like NFC and Apple Pay. Even NFC and Apple Pay are just layering on to a very old standard. Exactly. If you dig into, for example, if you dig into ISO 8583, which is the protocol that the shift authorization engine runs on, if you dig into the Visa network, that protocol is still based on Julian calendar dates. So it's technology that is 40 years old, 50 years old, and that's what the vast majority of the quote-unquote digital payments in the world run on. And one of the things it's like going from snail mail to fax machines. One of the things that really attracted me to shift coming from the telco world and addressing you know similar issues within Telefonica Group is we were able to build out a white label solution that leveraged the the towers and leveraged the low level physical infrastructure of the operators, but we designed our system to take all of the intelligence and the business logic out of those systems so that we had a lot more control and we could do, we could be very agile in the way we designed programs, the way we rated calls, uh, the way we moved data. And I think Shift has done a very similar thing in the card network space where we've built our own authorization engine that takes all of the complex business rules that typically sit within an issuer or a processor and put them within our platform, which means that we can be very agile about the way that we roll out complex programs. For those people who are listening in who are not experts in payments, they may be shocked to realize that in any given in-store transaction, there may be half a dozen or more counterparties that actually touch that transaction. Yeah. Can you talk about how shift payments is creating more efficiencies and possibly eliminating a lot of those different touch points? Well, I think when we talk to potential partners and we're coming out just over from a a meeting where in this particular use case we have users who multiple times a month visit a check cashing outlet and they're there presenting a check they're a known commodity to this particular brick and mortar establishment and they pay a lot of fees to get cash and for some things that's great and this is an enterprise this is a, a business yeah a big business they're presenting checks on a monthly basis Oh, sorry. These are consumers presenting paychecks and getting oh, cash. And so, to Adam's point, we're able to offer a solution that offers a lot of white label solutions so they can stand up a mobile application in short order to offer better solutions to their users. So, instead of coming in every week, if I know you, you can take a photo of that check just like we're fortunate enough, right? I can open my mobile banking site, I can take a photo of a check, and my institution's gonna honor that. We can offer those types of solutions to other demographics. To the underbanked or unbanked. In a very efficient way. 
furthermore, we can also support licensed mon uh, money transmission and remittances in partnership with, with other companies that we're friendly with. Clearly, the threats to card infrastructure platforms is pretty profound. You know, the world pays, the global pays of the world, merchant acquirers. Talk a little bit about the strategy to gain broader adoption. A lot of the folks that we're talking to are folks that have users, that have balances or access to funds that aren't that easy to get liquidity to. An example might be someone who's extending a line of credit, all the new types of online loan processors. This is an area that, that Adam has worked in. And so the question is, when somebody gets a loan online, how do they get access to that money, especially if they don't have a bank account? Or maybe they have a bank account, but you still want to give them like access to that money right away. There's been an explosion in these alternative lenders who are non-bank lenders that are you know, doing digital underwriting and they have very sophisticated web and mobile registration flows where the whole idea is you can get pre-approved in minutes and you can get a loan. What most of them don't tell you is that it can still take a few days to get your money because they send it through ACH. Even with same-day ACH, not all banks accept it. It can take to the end of business day. And so for certain verticals like point of sale financing, that doesn't really work because if you get approved for a loan, but you have to leave and then come back when it gets funded to pay for something at a store that just breaks the system. The you know, traditional way of doing this was companies like Synchrony Financial would go in and then do custom integrations with every merchant's point of sale system to enable approval of loans. And the way that we're approaching it is we will actually provide an instant issue virtual card that can be delivered directly to your phone uh, that is associated with this line of credit. So you know, one of the benefits of the shift off engine that's pretty unique is this ability to authorize transactions based on a non-bank store of value or non-bank custodial source. So it could be a line of credit, it could be a cryptocurrency wallet, it could be money that you have in a peer-to-peer -peer balance, it could be your brokerage account. And so we think that that gives us a lot of room to grow into verticals that are looking for these types of payment solutions. So what's the, what's the approach to scaling up here from here on out? Well, you take a population like Venmo, which has been signing up, I think it's public that they've been signing up a, a million users a month, and it's become the preferred way that younger people send money to one another, and that in itself has been popular. But for every dollar that's sent, just think how much in our lives we spend. And up till now, people who had Venmo had no way to spend that money. They would have to return the funds to their bank account. But now, with Shift, you could spend with Venmo rather than Shift going out in the consumer market promoting the Shift brand. Venmo has already been hugely successful, perhaps the fastest growing yeah, issue of stored value yeah. in the country. They're doing the heavy lift there, and Shift is just enabling that product behind the scenes. But beyond Venmo, what a, what other large well, providers are you attacking? Coinbase, I think, passed even Charles Schwab became the number one app downloaded in the world, not a game, not a messaging system, just the number one app downloaded. So they were also signing up a million users a month. How many users do they have now? I think they have over 13 million accounts. Wow. So those are examples of extremely fast-growing 
populations, in addition to other segments that have been historically and traditionally underserved. So just two big segments right now that we've just talked about are millennials, and we've talked about cryptocurrency wallets. A third has been underserved segments who've had to struggle with things like a green dot card and other very clumsy sort of physical point of buying, reloading networks, now are in a situation where, like with the example that Meg said for check cashing, you can have a way of getting money loaded onto your card that don't involve you having to go into a, a physical outlet to do something like cash a check. So you have a way of actually getting things loaded up instantaneously. So remittance companies, check cashing companies, millennials, crypto wallets, those are all folks that are coming into the shift to funnel. So just to recap, uh, you've gone from introducing a prepaid card or pre-stored card with all sorts of different sources of value to becoming the infrastructure layer, if you will, to power in-store purchases or in-person cashing of checks for a whole host of counterparties, not least of which are Venmo slash PayPal and Coinbase. Can you give uh, the audience a sense of what might be next and where it goes from here? So we're working on an interesting uh, new deployment in the brokerage and wealth management space where we have a partner that you know is a traditional online brokerage and you can hold IRAs, you can hold trading accounts, they have cash accounts, they also have margin accounts and like many in the brokerage space, they're starting to get interested in cryptocurrency and they initially gravitated towards Shift because of our experience in that space. And what they want to offer is the ability for their customers, if they have custodial accounts of certain types, to be able to have a branded card that they can use to just spend directly against those accounts, whether they're cash or near cash products like money market accounts, or maybe you're effectively getting credit from your margin account or in the future as they start rolling out support to purchase and hold cryptocurrencies that a shift powered white label card can basically provide access to immediate liquidity from those custodial accounts. I think uh, another exciting capability of the shift platform is to support something like Global ID. The concept behind Global ID is that any person who is judged to be compliant just to a minimal standard like round tripping their telephone number, verifying a government ID, ought to be able to hold a stored value account. Of course, that stored value account is very interesting unless you have permission to use it and there's nothing that makes it more usable than having a card. And with Shift, we think we can reach a population that's well beyond the traditional user bases that you get in the United States. By that, I mean we should be able to service folks that also have a, they might have a U.S. phone number, but they might not have a U.S. social security number, and yet they have very strong identifying information. And while some folks wouldn't issue a card to that party, what we're saying to regulators, law enforcement is, wouldn't you rather have a card issued with a good record of their phone number, of their government ID, and a transaction history, as opposed to having those people walk into traditional check cashing or remittance centers and just doing everything in cash. That's a big win. Potentially that card could actually itself act and look quite differently than a traditional payment card. So the designs for the global ID cards look more like an ID card, and yet interestingly enough, they have no identifying names on them. They have a picture of the person so you can match that person, but you could also have transactions that are more private. You could hand that card over, 
It can be processed through the traditional card network. And like Apple Pay, nothing more can be left with the merchant than a unique transa transaction number. At the same time, if that person wants to share their information, you could have a mode where they use or toggle in their phone to let that merchant know because they could then become part of a loyalty or rewards program. So you have cards now that the same physical card to the same program could be very privacy enhancing or very focused on sharing with trusted relationships between payers and payees. And all of that is done really in the software. You don't have to really change the kind of card that you're issuing. It's still a chip card, it's a piece of plastic, there's a mag strip in it. And the merchant terminals don't have to change either because all the intelligence is in Schiff's processing logic. That is all possible now because of what Shift has provided in terms of a, a hook that gets in between the normal point of sale system and just going to a traditional bank. Shift allows all this other decisioning logic, all these other forms of assets that can be paid, and all these other rules for how and when things get paid, including additional risk controls for populations that haven't normally been served. It makes it all possible at a cost-effective price point without having to reinvent or adopt entirely new infrastructure at the point of sale. That's right. We don't. That's the key, key thing, is anything you do that would require a merchant to change something that they're doing... Good luck. Good luck, right? And yet, this way, you can have all the traditional logic working, and for those merchants that want to do something creative, like a loyalty program, it's much easier for them to build on that without having to, like, change any of their physical... Another example of one of these use cases that we're excited about is generally payouts. So when you hear payouts, you probably think Visa Direct or MasterCard Send. But with our solution of our auth engine looking to third-party ledgers to authorize transactions, imagine, Simon, you just complete a job, you're owed $100. So long as that service provider says, yes, Simon, is owed $100, we can authorize payments for under $100 in real time, which makes you feel like you've earned that $100 and you have access right. to that $100. No money has to move until settlement. And so whether you're driving a car or completing a freelance gig or whatever it is in terms of payroll generally, I think our solution is far more economical in real time. As opposed to waiting for a check to arrive and then take it to a check cashing place, you can have value at your disposal that can be used in any way you want. So, Greg, as you were talking about some of the next level iterations of shift payments, you touched upon a few themes here that I think is worth exploring, uh, namely the importance of being globally compliant and identity. And identity means a lot of a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But to be clear here, I think the way you de describe identity is that you can be perfectly anonymous, but yet known to law enforcement and banking regulators and all the regulatory bodies, but just enable transactions in a way uh, that currently is not feasible through global ID. So the idea here, and the, the tipping point we're on, is a world in which usually people put privacy on one axis and security on the other. It's kind of like having the Orwellian 1984 world of Big Brother on one end and like the anarchy world of Mad Max on the other. But we don't have to live in that world. There is a world, sometimes we call it... These are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. We, we have a concept called Little Brother where you could have a card attached to an identity and that identity is fully 
verified person who's behind that is, is well established and attested to by multiple sources. It could be by social networks, it could be by the mobile telephone number, it could be by government IDs. And they're not just identified, they're verified. If you've read the, the Russian indictment about how easy it was for people to set up accounts just with identifying information without any verification that the person providing those details was that person, that's kind of a, a story that the way we've been doing things historically is pretty broken. It wasn't secure, it still caused a lot of friction, it didn't really work for anyone except sort of a, a hundred Russians. Um, but today we could do a system which the proof to get the card could involve a very high level of verification for those individuals to get the card. But when you actually give the card out and the card is actually used, what merchants and other folks that are in the risk business will see will the level of verification that that person has without giving up the identity in a way that could create a honeypot that hackers could exploit to like spam people or do identity theft. There's still a transaction record such that if there's suspicious activity, you can drill back with due process to get the underlying information. But otherwise, people can do transactions at volume with complete privacy. So the same thing is going on potentially in the card space that is going on with some of the new browsers that block tracking so that you can basically surf around the web without giving up your identity or having it trapped in cookies. You can do the same thing with card technology and, and shift's a big part of building that new platform. Greg, you and I have had several conversations around the grand vision in which you see uh, financial technology evolving and you've created this Uber construct called Yakka. Yakka yes. being slang in Australian <laughs> for, for work, if I'm For honest. work. So could you share a little bit of that for our audience? And I think it'll provide a great deal of context for how Shift and your other portfolio company, Global ID, fits into that worldview. In our, in our view of the world, the traditional banking systems and card networks, we don't think they're broken. They're just a little old, like maybe 50 years old. And they're not the cheapest systems in the world, they're not the most real-time systems in the world, and they evolve a certain amount of friction. But they work, and they're ubiquitous. So the question is, how could you bring in an innovation? And trusted. And trusted, right. That, that Maybe not loved, but trusted. Well, but they, they, they work pretty much everywhere. And yet, we do live in a world where, like a lot of people today, have a Venmo account, and a bunch of people have a Coinbase account. And so really the question is, if you walked into a merchant and you had a Venmo account, and let's say the merchant had a Coinbase account, and you swipe that card through a point of sale system, and the point of sale system identifies the merchant, the card identifies the payer, so you both know the payer and the payee, and you know that one is attached to Venmo, and the other is attached to Coinbase, shouldn't you be able to clear that account from one digital ledger to another? And if you can, not sayonara to the banks, but for this particular transaction, you did not need to go through the banks. And the card network was really used to identify the two parties. And that's a value, but it's a separate value from clearing and settlement through bank and card rails, because you could take the money off of one ledger and credit it to the other ledger, probably in real time, and at a marginal cost of near zero. That's what YAC is about. It's about enabling that, yet at the same time, if one of those parties is on the new digital rails and the other is not, there should still be a facility, like through Shift, where Shift or a party working with Shift can get paid on the digital ledger, and then Shift or a party that it's working with can make sure that 
plain old-fashioned money is sitting ready to be swept at Metropolitan Bank by the end of the day by Visa. So a merchant that's not part of the new reality could still get paid by someone who is. You're basically talking about building on top of existing rails mm -hmm. and new technology, i.e. blockchain-related technologies, and interoperability that does not yet exist. That's predicated on, first and foremost, compliance, and secondly, uh, identity. So yeah, the identity is the foundation for the compliance because you have to know who you're dealing with. Once you know who you're dealing with, you're taking things on one ledger and giving them off on another ledger. And that could be between two legacy ledgers, like one's the old banking ledger because you're doing like a, a withdrawal from like somebody's bank account, like in a traditional debit card, and you're paying to somebody else who's on the card network. That's the old fashioned world. But increasingly, the people have their value their chips are at a table, and that table is a yeah. table built out of digital ledgers, whether they're digital like Venmo or crypto like Bitcoin. The point is they're ledgers of value that are different from the old-fashioned ledgers but talk to each of other. bank ledgers. They all talk yeah. to each other. So you've created a 21st digital version of the Rosetta Stone. How is it all going to work, and how, how are these ledgers going to be able to talk to each other? Two things you just need. You need to have compliance because you, you need to know who you're talking to independent of the ledger. So if I'm transacting with you, I'm a payer, you're a payee, I shouldn't really need to know what ledgers you're dealing with and you should need to know here. And the it just needs to work. Should, and, and really the analogy for this, the model was, think what the internet was like before the World Wide Web came along and gave everything a common domain name that sat on top of the addresses. So once you had that, and I was like trying to communicate from, you know, my computer to your website, it didn't really matter because we had browsers and domain name system that I'm using a Mac or a PC. It just doesn't matter because all of that is abstracted away. So identity from a compliance point of view abstracts all that away because you get the level of assurance based on tying measures of trust to a linguistic concept, just tying it to a name. And you can work with any identity provider and build up like an Easter egg basket a lot of trust. Then the second thing becomes is what is the connecting technology between all the ledgers? And really this is where Shift comes in. Shift is willing to like look at value on any ledger. They have a construct called the tally database. So if you've got your money on five different ledgers and you've picked that this is the one you're checking, Shift can, within the three second SLA for swiping a card, check to make sure you have enough value on that ledger so that you're gonna be money good no matter what other ledger is going to be paid out by Visa or MasterCard on the other side. That is the magic of Shift, the tally database to see any form of value on any ledger within the three-second SLA of a card swipe. To be clear, does Shift payments take any credit risk along the settlement time cycle? It depends how our contracts are negotiated. So I, I say that because in the Shift card example, we're the entity that is responsible for making sure the merchants get paid out for Coinbase use or Dwala usage. In other examples, our reporting tells or informs PayPal what their Venmo user base spent, and, and Venmo or PayPal at the end of the day is responsible for making those merchants whole. So there's many forms of risk. Credit risk might be one, but we could come up with all sorts of other risks. There's FX risk if we don't convert the Bitcoin right away. There's latency risk if the transfer of value from, say, Coinbase to us, once it is converted, gets delayed for some reason, 
and visas knocking at the door on the other ledger. Counterparty risks, chargeback risks, many of these types of risks are contractually supposed to be on other parties, but the biggest risk we have is reputational risk. When something goes wrong and they see our name anywhere on that card or know that we're in the process, that creates a, like a, a distortion in the force, and that is a bad thing. And so the reputational risk for us is actually, and really for our bank partners and Visa, that's always been the biggest concern. All the other risks are fairly manageable, but the perception risk of, hey, this whole new thing, it didn't work one day, and therefore the whole paradigm is, is brought into question. So we've been really good on that front. So far, clear sailing. So Greg, going back to Yaka and the Grand Vision and enabling the interoperability from a technology point of view, and this will tie into you know this, this massive sea change around ICOs and cryptocurrencies, how are you going to be able to make all the different systems, ledgers, etc., talk to each other and facilitate payments, hopefully on a real-time basis or near real-time basis? So there's a, what I call a fundamental breakthrough was an innovation that came out of Ripple called the Interledger Protocol. And you can think of the Interledger Protocol as doing for connecting ledgers what SMTP did for connecting email servers. It's simply a protocol that states how money that moves on one ledger synchronously moves on another ledger at the same time in a way that is interlocked. And so instead of doing a bunch of one-off integrations with any particular ledger, you simply tell any ledger that wants to be connected to any other ledger that they should adopt the interledger protocol. So when you have that plus identity so that you know the parties on both sides are compliant, now you're beginning to run downhill. You have two things. You have a technical protocol for connecting the ledgers. You have a identity protocol for achieving compliance. The third piece you need is liquidity. And again, this is something that we've proven out with Shift, where you're willing to take money on one ledger and you have enough liquidity in your organization or a partner that provides it on the other ledger, so you don't have to wait for the money to get from one ledger to the other in order to have the party on the other side feel like the transaction cleared and settled in real time. Right. And so the third piece, after you have an interledger protocol and identity compliance, is liquidity. And so you take those three pieces together and you roll it into something that Shift has, which is like an authorization logic. It means you can make the decision to give thumbs up or thumbs down on a transaction within the three seconds people are used to for processing a card swipe. Solving those three points, isn't there another to make this all work, which is ultimately the settlement time, reducing the settlement time on the back end, right? And this is where the actual yakas come in. Well, so you can use the yakka that way. You can use the yakka another way too, which is basically as a a form of a tax on every transaction to make sure people don't flood the system with small spam transactions. You can also distribute any interchange that you're collecting with the Yakka, and you can also use the Yakka like green stamps in the old days mm. as a value reward. Now you can use the Yakka as a way to move liquidity around. We actually think Ripple XRP is pretty good for that already, and I kind of come from the Ripple world, so we think that's a problem, the movement of a particular type of currency for rebalancing uh, liquidity in different markets, and we're actually using that. So you could use any form of a cryptocurrency or even a fiat currency to rebalance the networks. We think because Ripple's already focused on that with XRP, we're going to focus with Yakka more on those other use cases I just gave. Spam control, 
fee distribution and rewards programs. So YACA can work alongside of XRP. In fact, the belief is that we will actually distribute the YACA on a one-for-one -one basis as a companion token to the XRP token. So how do you solve for people hoarding and speculating in the underlying digital token, the YACA? So we're not here to promote like the value of XRP sure. or the value of, of YACA that would make it into a security. Nonetheless, there's so many enthusiasts out there looking for the next big thing that inevitably what they want to do is they want to jump ahead of everybody else and get rights to an ICO or some digital assets and hoard those digital assets. Well, there's always a possibility of hoarding. People could have hoarded green stamps and they could have hoarded bonus points, but that's Which people still, who still do. There's still people that are doing that and you know they're still probably holding Russian railway bonds. But the, <laughs> you know, the, the way that we're going to be using them is, is very mundane and practical and utilitarian. Now, there are a limited number of Yakka, just like there's a limited number of XRP or Bitcoin and Ether. And some people may feel in a world where central banks tend to print a lot of money and there's inflation in the fiat currencies that any cryptocurrency that has a hard cap on the number might actually be an asset that's worth holding on to as opposed to turning in. Uh, we'll see, but... Are you creating any explicit, explicit incentives to use the actual digital tokens? So they will be used because all the payouts for any interchange earned by any partners, like the traditional interchange that's paid out by Visa and MasterCard, is going to be paid out in Yakka. We do that as a simplifying method because we'll have fees coming in from over 200 different currencies in the world it's a real headache from an accounting point of view yeah. if you don't have a simple token to pay out the rewards in, both to the partners as well as to the end user. So just like the airlines have used bonus points or like American Express points, we're really looking to use it like that. This is going to underscore my stupidity. Why not just use dollars to settle up? If you're going to use dollars, you, you could certainly use dollars. The advantage of us having our own token is what we learned from Ripple is you can just attach a little bit of the token to every transaction. And what we can do is we can top everybody up with, say, 100 Yakka to start without any cost. We don't have to, like, give out money. And as long as they're not a spammer, at the end of the month or some period of time, we can replenish that. So what you want is something out there that is a, a form of friction. But at the same time, what we found is if you're going to do it with dollars, you'd have all these people signing up for spam accounts because dollars are much more fungible than these, these tokens. So we can create our own set of rules for like replenishing the tokens and that managing that usage. Well, that promotes usage, but also discourages abusive uh, usage and whatnot. So we think the, uh, the dollar is pretty good as a form of payment. But remember, we're going to be doing Yakka on a global basis. And dollars, well, it's king here in America, and a lot of other people like dollars. There's a lot of other currencies elsewhere in the world. So if we were paying out bonus points to people in, like, Ecuador in dollars, it's a little ethnocentric. So to have a neutral token is, again, a very fortuitous part of the Yakka infrastructure. So as we wrap up, uh, we'd like to address, you know, what advice you might give to other would-be founders that are listening uh, to our podcast. Out of respect for Greg, the most seasoned of us, Greg, you've been involved with some iconic companies from the earliest stages, and you've been in the game a long time. What advice would you give to founders that are out there today listening to this podcast? I would not 
look at focus groups to figure out what you're going to do. Like they asked the, uh, the engineers at, at Porsche when they came up with the 911, they said, well, how did you know to build that car? Because that's like the longest running production car. Like what surveys did you take to like figure out how the car should be designed or what it should do? And they said, oh, we just built the car that we wanted to drive. <laughs> and, and then it's really simple. If you just build something that you yourself would love to use and you use it, then you're really on the road to like a very interesting path of discovery. Meg, how about you? I think specific to the industry that we've been in, uh, I could say two things. One is don't be discouraged with long timelines because that is just the pace at which our the financial services industry tends to move. But in addition to that, I think it's always been interesting to follow the money and really dig into the actual details and and really get your hands dirty on how these mechanics really work because that's where the opportunities are. So really dig in and, and follow every bit of the transaction to know where the money moves, how it moves, and the timing around everything. And You were not an expert in the payments ecosystem before you started the company, right? You learn quickly. Meg, Greg, Adam, thank you very much for being a guest in our show. We hope to have you back very, very soon, but congrats on all your success to date. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.